From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? Glad to be back. Sorry about this. Yeah, it's I'm doing good. Great to be back, as always, uh, talking about programming and uh, our community here with the per- listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, you know, I, I really enjoy these conversations. And sometimes you and I ha- talk about things, you know, off uh, when we're not recording that we tend to use as part of the show. And, and I think that that really makes what we do um, e- even more valuable because it's things that are relevant and, and uh, others can hopefully relate to them. And this is one of those episodes. And what, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is, you know, when, when we are looking at doing an AV project, if depending on your perspective, you may look at having a project to being turned over as being done and completed. And now you, from, from a contractor's perspective, their obligations are met and, and they move forward. But from a client's perspective, that's really the day that they are owning the, the, the system. And really the, you know, it's kind of day one of that new relationship. And, and um, from a programming perspective, there really is a need to be able to bridge that gap because as we know, um, programming is something that's fluid and it's probably the easiest part of a project to change uh, and and will need to be changed over time, whether it's due to users or equipment or so forth. So um, James, you were expressing to me, um, you have a big project that you're uh, about to um, have turnover and really that, you know, is you're, you're going to now uh, ha- be in charge, let's say. So Let's explore that a little bit because I think it's an important topic that our 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 industry may not talk about as much as they should. I agree, and I will admit I'm in a I'm in a unique situation. Um, I think anybody in higher education is I wouldn't go anybody, but majority of higher education are probably unique position because you they have people like me. Uh, as we dubbed ourselves in-house integrators, a lot of businesses don't have people like us who are building relationships and who are overseeing the work that's being done. And as you mentioned, day one is when we get the, it's finally ours up until that day and to the keys, you know, the, the um, what word I'm looking for the keys are handed over. We most people, most clients don't have any say or any input. They might have the first meeting or two saying, This is what we're looking for, but then they don't see the product until day one. So, did you actually meet their needs? And that's where we come in as a in house integrator is we are that bridge between the construction crew, you know, the integrators, the GC, all that stuff, and our true end users, our students and our faculty. And we are always dealing with the our end users. I mean, we don't walk away from a project. We don't install a classroom equipment, hit the button, everything fire up and go, okay, we'll see you in five years when you want something different. No, we, we're there daily. 
we're hearing everything saying, hey, this is not responding quickly enough. Hey, this is not the color scheme we wanted. Or, you know, there's a bug in the code. So we're, we're always hearing that. And so, like I said, day one is when it's handing over to the client. And not everyone has folks like us, uh, in-house integrators, to be the advocate and make sure that needs are being met. Um, so, Steve, to you, as a third party, a, as someone who is brought in to a product and then you leave when the job is done, how do you continue to build that relationship? How do you continue to make sure, as you mentioned, program is never done. You're always updating firmware security. Like, how are you maintaining that? I I think that that's a great topic to discuss in, in the fact that it depends on who you're working for at first. And, and I'm not saying that as a cop-out, but it, but it, you know, where the contract is held and what your, your, your um, obligation is, 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 is step number one. However, um, being an independent company or being somebody who can have relationships on different levels, I think it's important that a programmer has a relationship with a client in some regard because there either needs to be a line of communication so that the programmer can stay involved and there and there needs to be some type of an arrangement made for tweaks, adjustments, or there needs to be a, a really guided handoff to who is going to take over the code after that. Uh, because just turning over source code, which everybody feels a lot of times is the, that that's like the, the, the Holy grail, you need your source code. And I don't disagree whatsoever, but if you don't know what to do with it and it's not, and the source code isn't clean or you, or you have no ability to understand what it is that you got, how valuable is it at, at that point? And, and I've seen this happen quite a bit. Um, and, and I think that you, you can talk about this on a whole bunch of different levels, but the idea is, is that from earlier on in the project, there needs to be a plan for day two support. And, and I think that programming is probably the area that is most critical there. I agree. And real quick, we are recording this on October 13th, my October article for higher ed uh, digital magazine came out today and I actually talk about code recovery and what you mentioned right there is knowing what to do. It's great to have a plan. Great to have that source code. As, as you said, I mean, as an in-house integrator, I always want the source code. I, it, I feel it belongs to me. That's a whole nother topic. We can talk hours from and, that. And I'm, and I'm totally with you. Um, <laughs> it, it does. Cause yeah. It... But that's the thing is if you don't know how to deploy it, you don't know how to keep it updated and the aversion and all this stuff. Is it valuable to you? Just saying yeah. you have the source code does not mean anything. It's knowing what to do with it. And, and I, I've, I've explored this um, thought with a lot of different people, you know, sometimes may, maybe there needs to be a third party that is the the one who validates that the source code is is 
what is needed and and that everything's there and that it's readable and it's understandable and and I don't know if I want to go to the extent of saying it should be audited because it, in the end yes you want to have clean code but I don't want to tell somebody how they have to code something when it is when it works but there there there's different ways of looking at that as well too so that code is written so that it can be easily modified or or have um, the the ability to be understood or 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 clearly um, uh, cl clear clearly digested. Let's say to go on that. I think having someone to audit the code would be good. And I know we talked about this in a prior episode, but I think what what I would more say in a situation like this is not to someone to say, hey, is this code clean? Is this written well? But is it functional? Like when you hit the volume button, is it feedback, true feedback, or is it jumping around? Like that's an audit that should be done as well. I mean, I know I'm in the middle of doing that now on this project we talked about is I'm going room by room and I'm running the code through its paces, the room for the paces. When I hit the on button, does the display turn on? Like that's an audit that needs to be done. I'm not looking at the source code. I'm not looking yeah. and saying, is it labeled correctly in the code? Is the very to me, that's not as valuable as what is it doing what it's supposed to do. It's totally. And the way I would recommend for people, and I hope that that this is already being done, is to have some type of a detailed specification that is agreed upon prior to when the code is written. And we, in my company, we call it a, a control spec. We, it's the longer term is control functionality specification, where we, we, we give an idea of what is the user interface going to look like and how is the system going to function. And it, and there, there's a, an agreement and understanding of what the expectations are in advance so that when it comes down to it and you're in the position that you're in, you could point back to that document and say, "You, this is what we, we agreed to and this is not the way it's working or something's changed. Yeah, I've, I've heard it as a control spec. I heard it as program scope of work. I've even heard it as the user story as well. Mm. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I agree. It's um. I think it's a it's a key part, and whenever that process has been for for whatever reason sacrificed, it doesn't end up having a good outcome. Um, I, I wanted to clarify one thing that you mentioned too, because you know we would talk about in house integrator, and there's also the term technology manager, and I think that there's a little bit of a difference there. Whereas, you know, maybe you can really speak to them, but from my understanding, an in house integrator is somebody who who actually is a little bit more hands-on and has the skills and the training to be able to do a project from mostly from A to Z, maybe with some exceptions, whereas a technology manager understands how to oversee and bring the right people in. But you can explain that maybe better than I can. I think you, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Um, the only caveat I would say with the technology manager is I think a lot of times that term gets loosely used and you might have a technology manager who only knows PCs 
And now you're throwing them and saying, hey, they're going to see oversee the AV side of this and the programming side. They're not going to know. So just the t- just like uh, we can even say with an in-house integrator or an integration company or programmer, is do they actually know what they're doing, what they're talking about, and not just a blanket title to kind of, you know, be a face there? I, I would I, I think it's important and that that we also look at when we're vetting people like in in understanding who who do we partner with or who are we investing in and in, in knowing what what's their commitment level and and their even their interest to stay involved in a project because some some companies were, might not want that. They may want to be able to wash their hands of it and and turn it over and others if um, that they, they may be interested in looking at whatever arrangement that is, whether it's a support agreement or whether it's it's a continued um, uh, uh, advisory or consultant role or just uh, an as needed um, partnership. But, but I think somehow if you were to, to have your um, system turned over you day one and then never talk to the, anybody who worked with it prior to that, I think you would probably be in a bad place. Yes, I I agree. And I I think that's where relationships really come in key is, are you on a project just to get the project done? Or are you looking to build a relationship? And especially when there are people who are, well, even say competent technology manager, someone like me in my position, who is the advocate for the true end user, um, are you working with them? Are you building that relationship? Because you know what? That's going to get you back at the door quicker than doing a good job. Everyone, I mean, we are all professionals. Everyone should be doing a job professionally, but it's the relationships that get you back in the door. So are you a hang and bang and get the job done? Or are you a relationship builder? And I think that's what you need to ask yourself. Yeah, I, I and I think think it starts to get a little bit sticky, unfortunately, because of the fact that we're part of the construction industry, and we also have a, a lot of other people with a lot of other interests involved. But I, I think in the end, there there needs to you need to prove that you're uh, you're you're honest and upstanding, and 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 you have um, you really do care about the outcome, as as you mentioned. So, Steve, a question for you as a outsider programmer and our listeners probably majority of them are probably for an integration company or a manufacturer how do you build that relationship with a client technology manager let's see with the like how you build a relationship with them well i guess it depends on your business model and and everybody has different ways of approaching a project um we prefer to have those relationships and how we get them is by putting ourselves out there and getting involved and, and um, doing contributing to the industry, um, offering advice and insight and knowledge and, and not expecting things in return and being able to prove who you are and, and drawing people to you so that you can have um, be respected and valued and 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 trust gets built. Um, but not everybody wants to have those direct relationships with a client. 
Some people want to be more behind the scenes or be more looked at as a subcontractor. We, we want to be looked at more as a partner. We want to be able to, to work with somebody and, and have a bigger picture view um, and be, be somebody who we can be shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, and, you know, we, we just do our, our part, but it, but it's, but, but you have to be a team, team player as, um, and I, I think that that's probably key across the board. I, I agree. I, I think someone in like me, I, I will not speak for all technology managers, but I'll speak for myself. I look for the advocate, someone who's going to listen, someone who's going to build that relationship and not come to me and go, but the drawings say this. I know it's wrong, but the drawings say this. To me, I, I, I think that's a cop-out. And if you know something's wrong, do it. Even if the, the drawings tell it's like, you know, the GPS tells you to turn on a train track. Are you going to do that? The GPS told you to do it. No, you're going to use your common sense. And I think there needs to be things like that. Cause there are times where unfortunately we all know it. Drawings are wrong. They're incorrect. They didn't take account for everything. I mean, I don't know about you, but most of the buildings I've seen drawings, especially when you're doing a full building and not just one room, they're two, three, 400 pages long. You're going to miss uh, everyone misses things. And, and a lot of times those who have experience know to build that in because yeah. you have to have some leeway and you have to have some flexibility and, and it's just, it's, it's part of what we do. And some, and, and that's also why I'll look at it from the other angle Low price is um, probably not going to get you that type of service, but um, but if if we wrap this back around, and I love I love that we kind of had a great two way conversation too. Um, what what can we talk to for programmers in terms of how they should maybe approach a project so that that they can help to bridge that gap a little bit. Is there, is there something, is, is there maybe a different mindset or a different approach or, or some, some way that a programmer can help to, to ease that tension um, as projects get turned over? Yes. And it's extremely hard. And I, I even know personally, it's, it's hard for me too, but get out of your own way. Um, We all know what we're doing, we we think things are simple. And I go back to a project I did. I did a full control system back at my old school. And I looked at it. I'm like, hey, this is great. I had other co-workers look at it. They saw it was great. We installed it. Everything was working fine. And then as time went on, the people who were using the system the most were like, well, this kind of didn't make sense to us. Can we change the wording or can we change the colors like nothing was majorly changed but at first i was like well it makes sense why why am i doing that why am i like and then i'm like you know what they're right they're the ones using the system they need to know how to use it it may make sense to me but it didn't make sense to that and and i think if you if you start to anticipate those things uh, over time and experience, you kind of build that into your code so that you either provide 
the ease of making little changes like that, cosmetic or text or or minor function changes. Um, whether you and some some people and you know I've seen this done more and more lately is you you use um, a config file or you use some way of being able to do some some field adjustments that give empower a client to make their what we call user preference changes without having to rewrite code or or do updates um, for something that is seemingly a reasonable or simple request. Yep. So I, I think that's a great place for us to wrap this one. And and you know again, I'd love to hear more thoughts about this. Could, you know, we, we try to talk about things that that not everybody is talking about. So um, sometimes it would strike a chord. So it'd be great to hear and, and whether you agree or disagree with us, we um, it, it's all good conversation. So please reach out and, and let us know what you think. Um, James, how, how can people get in touch with you and um, keep up with what you're doing? As always, Sunday morning, AB and AM on Twitter. Uh, my handle is AB underscore James King. I am on LinkedIn a little bit here and there. Uh, writer for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine, Anything Hepma. Again, Google me, you'll find me. Excellent. And for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. And I, I do some writing for a few publications, uh, um, AV Network, um, do a little bit of business writing for SCN, Commercial Integrator, and uh, my company blog at controlconcepts.net. And um, didn't mention that we got some brand new stickers. So we want you to reach out to us. And if you would tag us or tweet us or share an episode and um, let us know, we will send you out some stickers. We had them at Infocom and we reordered them. So we'd like to uh, continue to get them in the hands of our listeners. So please do that. Um, and if you don't know already, you could find the show on your favorite podcast player as well as on YouTube. And uh, we want to continue to uh, invite guests to the show. So if you're interested, please let us know. And that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.